Sunday's meeting and today's meeting in terms of the message, a little bit unusual for me in that um, I don't have a coherent, straightforward, this is the message type of message. I didn't really on Sunday either, although it was so good and it sounded like I did. Um, but, you know, very often you get a scripture or something, you know, that got in a, a, a bunch of scriptures. But really, I know what the Lord wants me to speak on, but he's, uh, he's made it so that as on Sunday, it's really up to the Holy Spirit. So I'm just praying right now, Father, in Jesus' name, that what comes forth will be of your Spirit and nothing else in Jesus' name. Amen. So I, I want to continue speaking, as I did on Sunday, on the role of the remnant in Britain's prophetic destiny. Okay, and, and I really feel the Lord saying, strongly impressed on me, it was on Sunday, probably even stronger today, that we have got to transit from a place where maybe we, we're not entirely aware of what God's purpose for us is. Because you can coast in Sardis, or you can coast in church. And, you know, you can focus on stuff that's so vital, central, essential um, to, if you like, the basics of the Christian life. But Paul says, and, and I believe it was Paul, in Hebrews, you, you need to, you, by this time you should have been teachers. By this time the maturity should be there. But you've got to go over all the old, the old doctrines again, baptism and repentance and stuff. And very often we, we stay where we're comfortable or we stay where we've been blessed but we don't move on and I'm, I believe the Lord is saying to us as a group the remnant must transition into being responsible for the nation okay now again I'm going to blame Isabel Cam for this message because they activated and triggered in me what, one of, one of the, the central thing, arguably, one of them that I teach and preach and have done for years all over the UK, and that is God's purpose for the nation and ancient. And by, by ancient, I don't mean old alone, I mean eternal mysteries about Britain. Yeah. And if we don't understand that our role as the remnant is to get into all that, uh, learn it, have it revealed, and then minister with that and function from that place, then we'll, we'll end up being an old wineskin. Or we'll end up with old wineskin stuff clinging to us. I read something great this morning. Uh, I think it was this morning. And the, the guy says, grape juice does not burst old wineskins. Okay? Diluted Christianity, diluted teaching, diluted doctrine... Uh, nice stuff does not burst old wine. Only the new wine bursts old wineskins. And it shouldn't even be in old wineskins, which is why we need new wineskins. If we're going to be a new wineskin people, friends, then we need to transition. And the Lord's saying to us, I believe, that we need to, or He wants us to shift the paradigm. 
He wants to take us from where we are, which is great. And some of us are already where he wants us to go in par or, or in different levels. But he's saying, this is where you need to be. Because if you think, now, let me just say this. I'm not talking about complaining about the nation. I'm not talking about saying what's wrong with the nation. Because any Egypt can tell you that. Truthfully. And even, even some um, uh, moderate Christians out there, mainstream, they'll tell you what's wrong with the nation. But identifying the problem is not being the solution to the problem. And if you're a remnant saint, then you're the solution. And if you're not the solution, then you need to either quickly get up to speed or go back into the old wineskin. Amen. And, and see how boring it is. Maybe that's enough to get you out of it. But anyway, it's about transitioning. That's what I feel the Lord's saying. Now, I, I wrote this little booklet um, a long time ago. Well, it's a few years back. Um, and I just want, the Lord just said to me to, to, to read some stuff out of it or to share some stuff out of it. So I'm going to do that. Um, it's called Forgotten Truth, what the generals knew that has been kept from you. Folks, I want to say it as plain as I can here. You've been lied to your entire life. And you've been lied to in church your entire life. Okay, because the truth of who we are has been suppressed, kept, hidden from you deliberately. Now, I... I I'm going to name some names here. In fact, I'll just read. George Jeffries. Anybody know George Jeffries? Mm -hmm. Yeah. John G. Lake. Yes. John Alexander Dowie. F.F. Yes. F. Bosworth. Yes. And who knows Charles Parham? The father of Pentecost. Who was, what was the name of the first woman that ever spoke in tongues recorded? Agnes Osman. Yes. It was an Agnes that first spoke in tongues. Amen. Uh, well, I mean, people were saying they were doing it before that, and I believe they were, but recorded from Pentecost, because Charles Parham, this guy here, don't know you'll see him too well, he is, and, and, and many others that I could name, and maybe some of the names on this book, what did they all have in common, folks? What did they all have in common? Does anybody know? Jesus. Well, yeah, but... <laughs> yes. But what they all had in common was that they believe something that hasn't been, that has been suppressed. Okay. Uh, they had a lot of stuff in common, I know, but this is what I'm talking about, okay? Now, I'll just read a wee bit out of the book. I often hear Christians speak of great leaders in the past and ask why we do not see their like in the church today. Have you ever heard people saying, oh, that we had the power of the pioneers? Because these guys were the pioneers, right? Uh, oh, that we had their power. Well, I'm going to ask you a question. Can you, ha can you share in power and have a different belief system from people? In other words, if somebody believes something that you don't believe and they believe it's central and essential to their walk with God and they have the goods, did anybody doubt John G. Lake had the goods? Or Bosworth? Or John Alexander Dowie, who founded Zion City in Illinois? They believe something yeah. 
What did they believe? That people that say, oh, I wish I had their power, but they don't believe what these guys believe. Can you walk in it? Can you walk in the power if you don't believe? I mean, let, me, let me put it another way. Can you speak in tongues if you don't believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Can you walk in healing if you don't believe that God heals today? Can you believe God for uh, financial supply if you don't believe he even cares that, whether or not you have money? You cannot function where faith is not present. Amen? So what did these guys all believe? And there's, 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 there's many others of them. What did they believe? Millions of believers read of the exploits of men like Wigglesworth, John G. Lake, George Jeffries, and there is a definite understanding that many of these faith giants of yesteryear had something that is clearly missing today. So people search for it. And you got all these books. I know what it was. I know what the secret was. Ten hours a day prayer. Yeah? These guys walk holiness. Holiness. So ladies, do not wear a skirt above your ankles. Amen? Men, don't, don't have long hair. When, you know, I, I qualify. But you see, people come up with all these things because they look at the lifestyle... And back then, things were a lot more, that, well, put it this way, outward holiness. You, you could pass yourself off as holy, no matter what you were doing. Because, the, and these men had holiness, and they had it. But people look for the, the clue. But you see, it's not in lifestyle. It's in faith. So what did these guys believe? They believed the word of God. Many commentators identify this something as a depth of holiness or devotion reached by these giants that is not matched by people today. So we got a whole bunch of people trying to be holy or holier than thou. So this sets many off on the hamster wheel of striving in the flesh to be more holy in order to emulate their heroes. Who's got books of Smith Wigglesworth? John G. Lake, all these, who's got these books? Yeah. Because we want to be like these guys. And you know, you read their stuff and it stirs you. And, but if it says, I've got here, this, of course, this results in disappointment. I'm going to be like Wigglesworth. I'm going to be Scotland's Wigglesworth. <laughs> yeah? Or the ladies, I'm going to be Amy Semple McPherson of Scotland. But I want to suggest a different reason why these guys had the goods that, quite frankly, you don't see in the modern church. You don't. This reason will also explain why the ministries of many in the late 1800s, because John Alexander Dowie wasn't even in the Pentecost thing, but still, and, and Mariah Woodworth Etta, her ministry of miracles began before the Pentecost thing as well. Why did it make such a dramatic and supernatural impact on earth? It seems logical that in order to understand how these mighty generals of faith experienced such awesome signs and wonders in their lifetime, logic, it's important to understand what they believed. What did they believe? What did they believe? 
And let me ask you, what if you don't believe what they believed? Because I can tell you, 90-odd percent of the church today doesn't believe what they believe. And that's why we've got a weak church. Yeah. And everything that's happened would not have happened if these men were in there. You know, I'm going to say this. I don't believe that what would have happened in the last two years would have happened if Kenneth Hagin was still in there. Or Oral Roberts. I don't believe that. You know, there's the famous prophecy that when uh, Oral Roberts, Hagen, and Billy Graham left the earth, that revival would break out. And I believe it will. But because these three men have left the earth, we've seen what we've seen. Because generals of the faith do not allow stuff like that to happen. And that's why we need generals. Amen? So, well, you might be hearing all this and saying, well, I've studied and devoured all these books and journals, but what if I told you something that ought to both shock you and folks anger you? I tell you something right now that will anger you. Should anger you, Michael. Should anger you. I'll tell you in a minute, you've been lied to. We've all been lied to. A vital part of what many of these generals believed and preached has been kept from us. And I could name the, the, the guys, and you would know their names, and I've met one of these guys, and he's a good guy, but he didn't mention any what's in this little booklet, or in other books that I have, which go into detail about what these folks believed, because he, he, didn't, he didn't touch on it. It has been airbrushed from biographies of these giants and omitted from compilations of their teachings. A classic example of airbrushing is Mariah Woodworth Etter's book. Um, that The older copies that you can get from Harrison House, they detail all the folks that died in their meetings. Not died because they, they they, she prayed for them and they died. It didn't work. Died because they opposed her. And fell down dead in the meeting. Or fell down incapacitated in the meeting. And had to be prayed for. Or a bit of both if you understand. And in the modern biographies. They've taken all that out. Because that might offend some people. So you read Mariah Woodworth Etter's biography today. In one of the airbrushes. Wonderful ministry. Blessing. It was all blessing. Everybody was blessed. I didn't tell you about the folks that died because they were laughing in the meeting, mocking her. And boom, 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 they fell down. I didn't tell you that. But that's in the older biography. So there is a bit of airbrushing goes on. Now, not only that, but to these mighty men of God, the blessings they were experiencing in their ministries were a direct consequence of the things they believed that mainstream biographers have deliberately obscured and kept from readers of today. Mm. So I hope you understand the implications of what I'm saying. Yes. And let me say it plainly. If you have been seeking all your life for the secret of the power that the early Pentecostals walked in, then the things they believe to be the source of that power have been deliberately withheld from you. Yes. Deliberately withheld from you. So you can walk in a measure of that, and we all have, and we've all seen it. We've all walked in it. 
But what was their, what's the secret of the pioneers? What's the secret of the generals? Now, I'm not saying every single general believed this. But the ones I mentioned, well, the founder of the Elam. The, one of the main founders, if you like, of the Assemblies of God in the UK. His brother, Stephen Jeffries. So George and Stephen Jeffries both believed this. The founders of the Apostolic Church, which is my background, mighty, 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 mighty men of God and women of God, they believed it. The forerunner of the Apostolic Church was called the Apostolic Faith Church, which is a guy called Pastor Hutchinson from Bournemouth. And he was the forerunner of the Apostolic Church of Wales. And all his guys believed it, including John McPhee, who was his right-hand man in Scotland. Pastor Murdoch of Kosaith believed, all the pioneers believed these things. I, 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 I believe Pastor Murdoch uh, believed them. The Turnbulls, Apostolic Church. Literally, you could walk from here to where the church was in North Frederick Street. They believed it. But then, oh no, oh no, we can't, we can't have this. Of course, the power of Pentecost is the Holy Ghost, yeah? yeah? And the Holy Ghost was poured out in a fresh and wonderful way in the early 1900s. But the reason, it's the reason for this outpouring that was the secret believed by our spiritual forebears, which has been forgotten today. It shows you how long ago that I kind of wrote this. I'm referring to 2006, which was the centennial anniversary of the Azusa Street outpouring. Yes, amen. Now, Pentecost, the glory days of Pentecost followed. Pentecostal, Pentecostalism exploded in the USA and all the corners of the globe. Here in the Covenant Nation, churches such as the Apostolic Church, the Elam movement, began to multiply assemblies throughout the United Kingdom. When I was um, at the Elam Free Church in Carlisle, which was a breakaway church from the original Elam, it was a Bible pattern church. But the original Elam, the original Elam um, in Carlisle, George Jeffries made a decision, I think it was about 1923, 24, I think, that I think he'd been to Scotland, but he was going to invade Scotland. And so he, he left to, to go to Glasgow, I think from Carlisle. But as he left to start the work in Glasgow, Literally, you can walk to it from here along in town head. 600 members of the Elam Church in Carlisle all jumped in a train to support them from one congregation. And they, they marched through, it was an early march for Jesus through the streets of the city centre up to town head. And, and so that was a sort of founding, if you like, of the Elam. Folks, these people walked in something. Imagine me saying, we're going to start a work in Stirling and 600 followed me from this place. Think about it. We couldn't even get 600 in here. See, that's not that long ago. So what, what, what did George Jeffries have? Oh, yeah, he had an anointing. Oh, yeah. Oh, well, let me tell you his secret. 
It was prayer. It was he spoke in tongues. It was well, I know folks that do that all the time, but they're not getting six hundred people jumping on the pendolino. Amen. To follow them to a meeting. So what was the secret? Here it is. This forgotten truth. The thing they don't want to tell. And the thing that when you mention it, you're a heretic. You're an error, brother. Many of the principles involved in the Pentecostal movement at its inception, which was early 1900s, right? And the divine healing movement that both preceded and merged with it, and the holiness movement, were believers that we are descended from Israel. Genetically. The covenant peoples can say. Okay? So that's what they believed. And this little booklet, because I'm not going to get into more about the booklet right now. I could. But in the, the back of the book, now, why would an American evangelist care about this? Why would he care? At the back of the book is a reprint of a rebook by Charles Parham, the father of Pentecost, under whose ministry the first recorded tongues were. And of course, Parham was involved as well in Azusa Street. And Thomas Seymour was his student. Queen Victoria, heir to King David's royal throne. Okay, that's his little booklet. It's reprinted with permission. And it goes on about the, the genealogy, the lineage. It's all there. Um, and and so actually, some of these books are available over there, Forgotten Truths. It's been kept from us. Why? Because when, what's the one thing the Lord's been saying to us? When you know who you are, and you know that you know that you know, that's a game changer. Nobody can take it from you. If you know, if, if you were raised in a council estate, and you know, and then at a certain age, and you're just an ordinary person, we're all ordinary people, okay? But at a, 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 a certain age, somebody came to you and says, can I have a word with you? I know there's films about this. And, he, and then they show you, you're actually descended from royalty, yeah? Was it King Ralph, remember? You, stuff like that. And, and, and they prove it to you. When they prove it to you, you can't think the same anymore about, you, about who you are. Because what's happened is you've been given a new... Now, I know we've been given a new destiny as Christians. I get all that. I'm, but I'm not even talking about that. I'm talking about when we read... And I heard somebody mention it earlier about Israelites of old. When you understand we're descended from these folks... And you believe that, that changes everything because you're not reading about a foreign people anymore or a foreign race. You are the people. Hallelujah. Now, I mentioned a minute ago, Michael, there's a guy called Peter Beresfordelis who is uh, quite famous or was Celtic historian, wrote books about you know, Celtic history, Irish, really, to be honest. So, Peter Beresfordelis. In his studies, discovered he was doing a study on the Irish uh, 
clan names, if you like, the, the tribal names. I don't remember how many there was, but he, he mentioned how many there were. And, and he actually, uh, he was in a study to see sort of the origins of them. And what he uncovered shattered, completely shattered his worldview because he had been taught all his life as an Irish and Celtic historian that the Irish folks were just bog peasants. Yeah? No marks. Nobody's. Okay? That's why he was... He says, most Irish people grow up believing that. Maybe not in the modern... But back then it was, oh, you're just... You understand? As we were saying, Scott, Jock Tamsin's Burns, you know. So he then went into to study this and he said he found out that for every of the major Irish surname tribes or clans or every single one of them had roots in Irish royalty. Every single one of them. But without exception. And they weren't the only ones. But what he discovered was far from being bog peasants. We know history. And, you're, and you know, there were peasants, plebs, that were all descended from royalty. And he said there were two principal institutions guilty of hiding this from the Irish people. The book's called Aaron's Blood Royal. That's what it's called. You can get it on Amazon. There were two principal institutions that were guilty of suppressing and hiding this information from the Irish people. One, you can guess it, the Roman Catholic Church. Which it suited them. You're nobody. You'll never be anybody. You never were anybody. All lies. And the second was successive Irish governments. So his book caused quite a big stir, as you can imagine. Um, but we're seeing it in Scotland, aren't we? Because you know what it is? It's that teaching and preaching victimized. You're a victim of colonization by those big bad English bees. Correct? You're a victim. Because you're just a wee Scots person in this wee country yours. And they're exploiting you. But you know, many of those Irish clans came over and settled in Dalriada. And then they became the Highland Scots, which is known as the royal race of Scots. Because they had the same genetics, descended from the Milesians. Who, of course, and, and this is this is a fast, and it's in this book as well, my wee booklet, Kia David, um, and, and I'll just touch on it because I don't really want to sit, stand up here and, and read books. Um, but the Milesians were the high, the high, the, the, the kings of Ireland. The high king was a Milesian, and it was one of them that intermarried with the Hebrew princess that Jeremiah brought over, and then six, successive. Kings after that, uh, they were all crowned in the stone of destiny. Mm. So if you're here as an Irishman, Michael, to bring back the stone of destiny. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But that's the thing, they were all crowned on it. And so what it meant was that from then on, the the, the high kings of Ireland, they were all um, descended both from the Davidic line of Fares and the Zara line of the Milesian kings. The Irish kings. But of course, 
with the offsprings, they then began to, um, you know, there were other clans, there were other. So through time, that royal race permeated through the Irish people. And indeed, what happened was uh, Fergus the Great came over, 500 AD. Um, he was, I think, the brother of the High King at the time. And he, I've got it here somewhere. Um, I'm reading it earlier, but anyway. He said, can I borrow the Stone of Destiny because I want to get crowned on it in Dalriada. So he borrowed it and never returned it. So the Irish have a claim in it. The Scots have a claim in it. The English raided it and ransacked it and took it down south, but it's back in Scotland now. The point is it belongs to us in the British Isles. Yes, it does. And those, Fergus the Great, of course, came over. And those clans of the royal race of Scots, the, the Highland clans, as we'd call them, and we can name all their names, but we're not going to do that. But they were all, they all had this royal blood in them. Yes. And what happened in the 1,500-odd years since is that that blood has permeated so that if you do a DNA study now, anywhere in the British Isles, you'll find the genetic DNA link. And what it means is the vast majority, if not all, of the indigenous British peoples have Davidic blood in them. And there's a, there's a chapter in here that covers that. Why is all this important? Because Peter says, you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, yes. a holy nation. So for, for, now, I believe you can be, if you like, grafted into that, regardless of your ancestry. But what's important for us to understand is, well, why is Scotland so important to God? Why is Britain so important to God? What's the, you know, we know, some of these guys that came, if you remember from the, the, we call them the George Square crowd, they're all talking about the Stone of Destiny because that revelation's been released now. Okay? There's a reason why all these things are culminating at, at this time in the latter days. We saw it the other day when we read the lost chapter. Oh, let's just read those verses again. The lost chapter, the Sanini manuscript of, of Acts. In the latter days, oh, I'll read that from you. Uh, even the Holy Ghost fell upon Paul and he prophesied, saying, Behold, in the last days, is, this, is it the last days, folks? The God of peace shall dwell in the cities. And the inhabitants thereof shall be numbered, which means a census. That's what he's talking about. And in the seventh numbering of the people, which took place in 1861, he then goes on to say, their eyes shall be opened. And that's when what Karen was saying the other night, what I was speaking about, the, the, the truth that we are Israel began to explode across the earth. And the glory of the inheritance shine forth before them. The nations shall come up to worship on the mount. That was Mount Lud, which is where St. Paul's Cathedral is. And then it says here, in the latter days, new tidings of the gospel shall come forth, issue forth out of Jerusalem. And the hearts of the And remember, Jerusalem, prophetically, is not Jerusalem, the city that's in the real estate. Jerusalem means where God dwells. Okay, so Jerusalem has always been a metaphor for many, many years of Britain. And you know, if you go into it, both Glasgow and Edinburgh have also been identified as Jerusalem. 
The hearts of the people shall rejoice, and behold, fountains shall be opened, and there shall be no more plague. Now, what's the Lord been speaking to us about as a group? Say it again. Healing centres will be opened, but also that they will replace the NHS. There'll be no more disease because the people of God will walk in such authority and such power. What did these guys do? What did these guys? What did that guy Dowie do? What did John Leachy Lake do? Healing rooms, healing centres. Amen. Where people could come and be ministered to. Sometimes they would stay in beds until they were well. Amen. Some folk come in and shaka mundo, shaba shaba, and they walk out. <laughs> Glory. Other folks, they, they sort of stayed in their bed, get fed scripture, prayed for a day, oil rubbed in their head, until eventually they got stronger, 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 stronger. And then they, they, they you know, they, they weren't shabbat so much, or they had more shaba than anybody. But you understand, whether it's instant or whether it's gradual, you see, why I like gradual healing and the idea of beds is folk are getting the word put into them. You can be shabbat, sent out the door, and have to come back next week because, you, you know, you've been eating Mars Bar suppers. <laughs> and now you need your arteries cleared. Yeah? Well, last week, you, you know, you were drinking too much, whatever, iron brew. But the folks that get the ministry of, a, you know, almost like a drip, you know, you go into the hospital, the first thing to do is put you in a drip, isn't it? But you know, it's drip, 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 drip. You reverse. What, what Karen's been doing with the decrees? Drip, 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 drip. Okay, and what happens is you fill up. You've not been shabbered, you've been filled up. So that's the difference. So it's not a bad thing that folks... You see, I, I see the healing centres, a big part of it is teaching and healing. Because but then you get the word in them. If you get the word in you with healing and you get healed, you'll then become somebody who is a vessel of healing. Not just a, a recipient of like a, you know, a divine healing, but a vessel. In these days, or in those days, there shall be wars and rumours of war. Well, we're there right now. You know, you know the interesting thing, and I was thinking this anyway, but I went and researched it all out. And went, the Russians, the Russians are coming. That Putin guy, he's a bad guy. And, and you know, and, and we're thinking, well, you know what? He's maybe not such a bad guy because he's opposed to all these globalists. Yeah. Then you go and discover, guess who's a rising star of the World Economic Forum many years ago? Putin. <laughs> See, all the, all the, so-called hostilities. They're all staged. That's it's just a con. Now, I'm not saying it won't happen, but it's wars and rumours of war. And I think it's mostly going to be rumours of war. Because rumours of war do what? Keep you scared. Distract you. Distract you, exactly. Then it says, and a king shall rise up. This is, this is where I think the Lord wants us to go today. Well, I know he does, but there's so much more, you know, this was the time, but a king shall rise up and his sword shall be for the healing of the nations. Yeah. 
Now, folks, there's only one sword that can heal the nations. That's it. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. That's the only sword that I know that can heal you. I watched Bill Johnson um, talking about the sword that's mentioned uh, in Ephesians 6, and it's a short kind of dagger sword. Now, what, what he said was, this is quite amazing, because, you know, we talk about the, the shield quenches the fiery darts, but the sword that the Roman soldiers had, it wasn't really for fighting, it was for plucking out arrows that got past the shield. Because <laughs> literally, you, dig it, you dug it into your body and twisted out the arrow. But, and the reason that's a great metaphor is because is there anybody here that's never been hit by a flaming arrow from the devil? But what's going to heal that wound? The sword. To dig it out. Amen. So, the sword for healing is God's word. And you know, here's the one thing. Here's just what I'm trying to get. The Lord's saying, this is not easy because you have to pray into it you, uh, and it'll cost you. This is going to cost you. This is why I'm not saying, oh, this is going to be so easy, folks. Let's just do it. Because this is the one thing that the devil knows that the church does not know. Amen. But the remnant must know. And it's this. You change it all when you have a born-again, spirit-filled, Bible-believing, tongue-talking, devil-stomping believer in the offices of power. Amen. Everything changes because that person then has the whole... See, he keeps calling himself the Lord of hosts. What is he saying to us as remnant folks? If you can get somebody in the office of power that believes in me, that confesses my word, that reads my word, that seeks my counsel, that speaks in tongues, I will put all of heaven's armies behind that leader, just like I did David, just like I did the kings of old, just like he did for Queen Victoria. And, 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 you know, I'll read the close in a wee minute what I want to close with. It says this, and his peacemaking shall abide, and the glory of his kingdom a wonder among princes. Now, this guy, John McPhee, taught it, and Paul's, if, it's, if you believe it's Paul, I do, prophesied it, and so many others have, in the last days a shepherd king's coming. I don't know who it is. Oh, is it Prince William, is it? I don't know. The Lord might sweep all of them aside and raise up somebody of the Davidic line, though. Yes. And that person will be sold out. Will be like his ancestor, sorry, his ancestor David. And completely, Lord, your will and only your will. And they'll oppose him. Because what's the first thing they say whenever a monarch or a member of the royal family voices an opinion? You're not allowed to give your opinion. Imagine when they say, I'm not giving you my opinion. I'm giving you God's word. Yes. I'm giving you in the name of Jesus. Now, I'm going to say this to you. I don't know who that person is, but it's the remnant's job to pray them in, and it's the remnant's job to support that monarch. I believe that with all my heart. Yeah, I, I, I think there's probably nothing more vital in, a, in one sense for us as remnant saints to do. Now, I'm not saying we should all start speculating 
And, you know, if the Lord reveals to you, you think who it is, fair enough, you can share it maybe, but I, 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 it's not important that we go hunting stuff. No. Oh, did you know, uh, you know, uh, so-and-so, Prince William quoted the Bible once, it's got to be the shepherd. I don't know. And I don't think the Lord wants us to speculate unless he clearly shows us, then it's no longer speculation. But folks, that's our job to believe for that. And that person will heal the land. And we can read certain things, and you say, well, what, what, why is it important? Now, again, there's a big part of this, and it, it's, it takes you into another paradigm to say, there's one thing to say, and this is, this is important to emphasize this. It's one thing to say, I believe what you're saying, that a royal house is descended from David. That's wonderful. But do we believe then that there is an element here of the extension of the throne of David and the earth through our British royal house? That's where these guys believed. And if you can show me your works that match theirs, you understand? In fact, I've still put it up, but I will put up uh, Brother Davies message on that. Mm -hmm. I'll do it, I think, later on today. And there's so much teaching out there on this. In fact, we've got books over there and all this stuff. The important thing is this, is that whether or not you believe that Britain's throne is the extension, the continuation of the throne of David in the earth, the very fact that it is a throne that Davidic descendants sit on and let me ask you a question and I'll just I'll leave it here explain then how come Britain was the most powerful empire in the history of the world for so long because we can easily explain why it isn't now because we fell away from the Lord so and and by the way a lot of these things I'm speaking about they were once much more widespread truths and believed throughout the land and many still do but it's not emphasized as of vital importance. So I believe for us as remnant folks, we have a biblical mandate to pray for kings and all that in authority. And like I said, you can go to 100 prayer meetings and never hear one prayer along those lines. So Auntie Sadie's big sore toe and, you know, Jenny's lumbago and, you know, Sandy's, you know, dispute with his neighbors over the hedge. Let's pray for Sandy. Let's lay hands on Sandy now. That his neighbours will back off. Oh, Sacramento! You know, all the trivial stuff. It's not trivial to Sandy, but let's be honest, in the grand scheme of things, it's not first of all. It's not a priority. We can pray for Sandy's hedge and Jenny's lumbago after we've prayed for the things that God said matter to him. Yeah? <laughs> It's a, you know, it's a shame for Sandy. Half a foot of his neighbor's hedge hangs over his fence. And it really, really upsets him. Am I right? Let's pray for Sandy. I'm faster in praying that Sandy's neighbor will buy a pair of shears and use them. Come on, that's, that's, what I'm, that's why... God's saying, no, I need a remnant with all this. I'll go listen to this. Think about it. We need a remnant. That 
will concentrate on the things that matter. That will transition from from the ridiculous to 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 the to the, rea- the reality of what's real. <laughs> but it's, it's it's true. Listen, that's mild compared to some of the prayer meetings I've been in. Yes. <laughs> anyway, let's just very quickly, okay? Now, Psalm eighty-nine, because let's accept that there's let's accept that our British royal throne. And I'm not listening. I'm not talking. I'm not preaching jingoism. Does that make sense? Well, I'm the hope of glory. Wave our union jacks. I'm not preaching that kind of, you know, you know, get, get the orange bond in. I'm not preaching that. Right? I think there's, there, 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 it's important for us to understand that God has done something great in our nation's history, yeah? Maybe I should pause the, <laughs> pause, pause the machine here and let the folks laugh out there. But Psalm 89, okay? <laughs> a psalm it's actually a contemplation of Ethan the Israelite, which is about King David okay I will sing of the mercy of the Lord forever with my mouth while I make known your faithfulness to all generations for I have said mercy shall be built up forever your faithfulness you shall establish in the very heavens what is God saying here he's saying I'm going to treat David differently from what I treated Saul because Saul messed up and I just that was it. You're out. So if God kept doing that to kings, we would just have endless supply of kings. So God says, I need to store up mercy for some king. So he did it for David and his descendants. <laughs> yes. You're ruining my sermon here. With your, with your joy. This. <laughs> I have made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn to my servant David, your seed I will establish forever and build up your throne to all generations. Okay? (laughs) And then later on he says, verse 19, you spoke in a vision to your holy one and said, I've given help to one who is mighty. I've exalted one. Chosen from the people. This is David. I have found my servant David with my holy oil. I have anointed him with whom my hand shall be established, also my arm shall strengthen him. The enemy shall not outwit him, nor the son of wickedness afflict him. I will beat down his foes before his face and plague those who hate him. But my faithless and mercy shall be with him, and my name is horn shall be exalted. Watch this, folks. Also I will set his hand over the sea and his right hand over the rivers. He shall cry to me now every king in the, the, in the throne of David. Throughout history it should have been. Some did. Some did. But not all did. Mm. We spoke about Manasseh the other night. He shall cry to me, You are my father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. Watch this. Also, I will make him my firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. What do all these worldly leaders want to be? The leader of the free world. The, 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 you know. But the Bible says only the person that sits on the throne of David has that title. Mm. Amen? Mm. Now, if you... Use that in an abusive way. Or I'm going to be honest, in an occultic, satanic way. 
to say, well, God has made this throne, but, but I'm going to dedicate this throne to wickedness or to darkness, which some people claim that a royal family does. And maybe some members are into all that stuff. But that's our job is to pray that away. That's our job is to pray that down and say, no, Lord, bring a fountain of cleansing. Bring repentance. Bring Holy Ghost fire to purge our royal house so that what rises up is a Davidic king, a shepherd king that says, no more of that, just like Josiah did, just like Hezekiah, just like the kings of old who walked with God and it was recorded of them that they did right in the sight of the Lord and they brought revival. The same principle applies today that I believe that a leader who is sold out to Jesus and, uh, and do you remember that film, The King's Speech? That was a prophetic voice saying that the king's voice has been shut up. So he had a stutter, but he had had it released. The kings or the queens or the monarchs of Britain today, they don't have a stutter. They have a clamp on their mouth that they're not allowed to speak the word of God. I know the queen in her Christmas Day message speaks about Jesus, but imagine she did it every day of the week. Well, we're going to be reading today from... Isaiah chapter 60, arise, shine. This is, this is, this is your queen speaking. Shakamundo. Let's all speak in tongues across the nation. Wow, can you imagine that? The da- can you imagine the, the papers, the daily record? And, oh my goodness. Imagine Nicola. Yeah. Oh, it's a fit. We rebuke the witchcraft spirit in our first minister. Wow. It says this here. Watch this. My mercy I will keep for him forevermore and my covenant shall stand firm with him. His seed also will I make to endure forever and his throne as the days of heaven. Then he goes on to speak if if these guys mess up then, uh, you know, the blessing will will not be uh, it will not be as strong but it says here later on it says that then it says that his seed shall endure forever his throne is the sun before me okay he he is watch this verse 27 the highest of the kings of the earth so you see if we Align ourselves, friends, with any thought that is against the Davidic throne, we are not remnant people. Now, we're not doing it because, oh, we, you know, rule Britannia. We're not wanting to rule by military power or economic power or jingoistic, you know, land a hope of glory. Let's beat down all the savages and all the other nations. We're not doing it for that. And you know, Queen Victoria summed it up because a prince came from India and got an audience with her and says, can you tell me the secret of Britain's greatness? And she says, yes, it's very simple. She pointed to an open Bible. That's the secret of our greatness. So greatness, Great Britain, the greatness doesn't come because we're all you know, hot rods, wonderful, you know, superior, a superior race. Any of that. 
it comes from. The greatness comes from that we are the servant nation to the nations. Amen? Now, I believe that's a, a, a role that we as remnant people must play. And it's all part of the key of David. You see, we can talk about the key of David. I'm just going to close here. The key of David is about divine authority. You need to read Psalm 110 and understand Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. Okay? The John McPhee vision was that a king upon the throne of Britain, that the king Jesus would be in that king because he would be spirit-filled, born again, sold out, and Jesus would reign through that king. Does that make sense? Just like Jesus reigns in our lives through us if we let him. You can live the Christian life, which is striving in the flesh to be a good Christian, a better Christian, all that. Or you can just let Jesus live big in you. But he's talk, But John, the, their vision that they had was that in the last days there'd be such a king that would be sold out. Like David was sold out. David says, the Lord said unto my Lord. And in the Hebrew it says, Yahweh said unto Adonai at his right hand. Who was Adonai at his right hand? Jesus. A thousand years before Jesus walked the earth, David saw him and said, that guy there's my Lord. He was confessing Jesus as Lord a thousand years before anyone else. See, God revealed something to David. God says, you, you know, you've touched my heart. I'm going to make you walk as a new covenant saint a thousand years before anyone else. I'm going to reveal something to you. There's someone at my right hand. And he's Lord. You're Lord. So David didn't say, I'm the king of Israel. I don't have a Lord. David said, I'm the king of Israel because I have a Lord. That's what he's saying. And that's what we want our queen or whoever it is that succeeds her to be saying. I don't rule here because I'm so wonderful. I rule here because I serve the wonderful one. And that's what we are needing. We are needing a king and a queen. We are needing a prime minister like that. We are needing a chancellor like that. We are needing all these guys in offices of power to say the same thing. Jesus is Lord. We serve him first. Then we serve the queen or the king. Then we serve the nation and its people. But first and foremost, we, we are, our pledge of allegiance is to Jesus. To God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy. Imagine having that in Westminster. It's not just let's up, because we, we never see the opening prayers. But imagine Prime Minister's question time. May I ask the Prime Minister... What does he think of Romans chapter 8? <laughs> oh yes, a wonderful verse. Amen. Let's all pray it together. Let's decree it that this will be. Amen. This house shall be a house of prayer forever in Jesus' name. Oh yes, amen. Amen. Yes, that's madness. Yes, of course it is. To the world. Just as um, Jane Marie and Isabel were trying to ruin my uh, message here with her that came to mind and you know this was a manifestation it wasn't just I'm so funny Agnes is shaking her head <laughs> definitely not watch this Psalm 2 why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain or futile thing that doesn't leave us wondering. The kings of the earth are to blame, it says. They set themselves and the rulers take counsel together 
against Yahweh and against his anointed, which is Christ, but also us, saying, let us break their bonds in pieces, cast away their cords from us. In other words, let's not have a Christian society anymore. Let's not have our laws based on the Bible. Let's make them up. But look what God's response is, because this is about the key of David. Did you know that scholars will tell you that although this is attributed to Christ, the primary application was to uh, kings who sit on the throne of David in history. When he says, I've set my, I've set my, my uh, uh, says that he's set his king upon his holy hill in Zion. Yes. Scholars will tell you, and of course the New Testament will tell you it applies to Christ as the ultimate but the initial meaning of this was a king who sits on David's throne. But look what he says. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold him in derision. Then he'll get angry. Then he'll speak to him in his wrath, distress him in his deep displeasure. But he begins by laughing. So it's, it's not that I'm so funny. Although I am. It's not I've got a great sense of humor. The Lord has shown us through that. That was prophetic. You don't need to get upset about all this stuff. Because I've got it all under control. I've set my king in my holy hell of Zion. And you just need to, as remnant saints, follow my purpose in the earth. And then that ought to fill you with joy. Because I'm full of joy. I know, what, I know the end from the beginning, he says. And he wants the remnant to know that. He wants us as remnant saints to come to a place where we understand his ways. Yes. We understand the end from the beginning. We see it. And we say, and, and we do say right now, and it's interesting because we're talking about decreeing for a royal house on the group. We don't decree anything except the will of God. And the will of God is the will of God is a Davidic king upon the throne. The will of God is a sold out servant of Jesus in number 10 Downing Street. The will of God is a born again spirit filled Christian in Butte House. And in all the offices of state, and that even includes our council offices. Imagine going down to Glasgow City Council. Welcome Isabel. The lady provost or whoever it is, I don't even know, if it, is it a lady or a lord? We'll see you now, just go straight through. Amen? Amen. Oh, thank God you're here, Isabel, we need prayer. Please lay hands on every one of them. Yeah? Please go into that department and pray for them. Amen? Amen. Or, with, 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 with Verity, with the rivers thing. Yeah. We're, we're appointing you, you know, Minister of, of the rivers. Now your job will be to go around all the rivers, take a team with you, and pray over each bridge. And it's not just because we recognize that works. We recognize that's of God. We recognize that it's not just, you know, religious freaks doing religious freakery. It's real. Amen. And what's more, we're going to, we're going to donate to you, your charity. You see, that's what we're looking for, yes. is that type of breakthrough. Anyway, I could go on, folks.
But that's, the role of the remnant is so vital in all of this. Now, of course, we're not in London, we're not Manchester, we're here in, in Scotland, Glasgow, and, and other towns represented. But it's God's vision for our nation, the whole nation. I believe the whole of the British Isles. Yes. Including Ireland. And all coming back under the throne of David. And it's people glad of that. Because I'm going to tell you this and I'll close with this. This is, I know I keep saying I'll close, but I'll close with this. All the independence stuff and the separation stuff has got nothing to do with politics. It's got nothing to do with independence as such. It's all against the throne of David. That's what it is. Okay, it's, it's, it's anti-monarchy. Okay, and God's system is monarchy. It's kingdom. It's not thy republic come. It's not thy democracy come. It's thy kingdom come. So we need to be praying for our royal house. Not because we're, you know, proddy proddies or all of that. Or, but it's because it's God's will. And I'll, 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 I'll leave it there because there's other stuff I could say. But. Praise the Lord. Let's just have a word of prayer. Father, we just commit these matters to you. We know that we don't want to be the Shana. We don't want to be rebels against your ordained means of governance in this land. And Lord, we know that we have problems with our governmental leaders. We lament it. And we ask that you'd remove the unfit ones, the wicked ones, the unclean ones from office. But Lord, raise up those who, who will govern under your mighty hand and under the counsel of your spirit and under the anointing of your spirit. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Raise up a Davidic shepherd king in our land. Raise up leaders who will support the kingdom in our land. Raise up, Father, men and women who will preach along these lines. Raise up a remnant, O God. Multiply to us. Here is the remnant. Multiply to us. More and more people. We will see this vision. And that, Father, Lord, we thank you for the presence in our midst of the stone of destiny. Because that points us to the destiny of this nation, which is to be, Lord, the very manifestation enough of your kingdom thank you lord for reminding me lord you called the throne of david in your book the kingdom or the throne of the lord you called it the throne of the lord thank you the throne of the lord is in our midst in more ways than one lord we praise you for it let it manifest your kingdom power and purpose in these lands in jesus name amen